<laughs> I'm going to use that as the um, I'm going to use that as the transition between the segments this week, Alison. I'm going to put a little note at the beginning saying Alison burped, and I've decided to embrace that as a motif. And uh, instead of having our theme song, I burped into the microphone. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> You really did. I saw you move to the microphone to really get it on uh, in, in the track. Okay. You know, you know how there's normally a beep at the end. <laughs> Not a beep anymore. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very 17th episode of the Octothought Podcast, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom. This is the episode for the 29th of October, 2020. I am John Coxon. I am Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And today we are brought to you by two excellent letters of comment. The first one comes from Dave Mansfield, who says that he found it really amusing hearing the shift from reviewing online conventions to worrying the wrong format was getting to be tradition to it being clear with hindsight that we were going to run one and then episode 15 running with that as an accidental gag of failing to announce it was perfect so thank you dave we would like to say that was all entirely on purpose and not just happenstance through a number of episodes we recorded um i i'm glad that we're coming up with themes and stuff that's nice Join our, before we forget to mention it, um, join our convention, Punctuation, punctuationcon.uk. If you are on that page and you are logged in, you will see the link to our Discord where you can come and talk to people. Um, And a few days after you join, John will send you an email with a link to our Discord as well, just in case you missed the one on the page. Um, But it will be a good time. Come and join. Yay. Good plugging. Since last time, we completely forgot. Plug early, plug often. And yeah, it do, it does feel like for those people who are listening to us, we have spent quite a lot of time talking about online conventions, and we'll spend yet more time talking about online conventions this week. So now we really have to do it and not make a complete hash of it. Yeah, I mean that. Yes, that was already. I think that was already the plan. Like we hadn't decided secretly to just like massively sack it in. But um, but yeah, now it's getting a bit real now because it is. Hang on, I'm going to check the widget on my phone. It's 19 days and 6 hours until punctuation. At the time of recording. By the time you hear this, listeners, it will be less than that. Because that's how time works. I'm now worried because it's not very long. Don't put that in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely going in the podcast list. No. (laughs) It'll be fine. We just need to sort out the program. If you want to do a program item for us, please let us know. You can volunteer in the Discord. Yes. If you're a member. So so join first, then go to the Discord, then send us your program ideas. Or you can email us with your program ideas. Yes. Um, Or use smoke signals as long as we can see them in Walthamstow, Bangkok and Southampton. So it'd have to be okay, pretty... Please. Yeah, so please don't, don't do no, that. No, don't, don't, don't do whatever it would take <laughs> to generate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you cause a global eruption in order to signal a program item, we will treat that as a code of conduct violation and we will eject you from our online convention. From the smoking pit where our online convention used yes. to be. I need to just edit the code of conduct to strongly discourage deliberate volcanic eruptions. Um, 
Dave also says, if Zoom is methadone for consocial spaces and Discord is paracetamol, is Octothorpe one of those double-blind trials where it turns out the placebo is better than the current version? Um, and I think that's a compliment. Liz, explain it to yes. us because I it's a biology joke. Say, I want to say that we should definitely not um, disallow accidental volcanic eruptions because then where would Rob Hansen be? <laughs> that, that's an old, 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 but nevertheless very funnish joke. Um, yes. So, um... I don't Liz understand looks... Alison's joke, and I don't understand Dave's joke. <laughs> that's, the Liz, that, that's the Liz verdict. We, we've got to joke checker Liz. She's come back. I mean, are we are we the placebo? I don't get it. I think, I don't know. I don't know. Claire Briley, we'd be a placebo if we didn't actually run the convention, but just talked about online <laughs> conventions for a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Claire Briley of Croydon will understand the reference to Rob Hansen and volcanic eruption. And we will also put a link to the explanation of that joke in the show notes. So um, on this subject of Dave Mansfield's lock, um, I want to do some follow out, Alison. Um, uh, hat tip to the Upgrade podcast uh, for the name. Um, but basically, this never happens. Discussed... Um, online convention mechanisms on their podcast and and dave has written to us about zoom and discord and octothorpe and i do just want to say um they they point out that zoom and discord are not as good as real conventions and um i just want to highlight i very much strongly agree with that sentiment but as someone who hasn't been to a proper convention in 18 months and won't go to another one for another 18 months i am sort of trying to manage this three-year stretch of loneliness and isolation uh, with some level of online interactivity. Um, and so we are trying our best in a difficult and trying time. Um, so yes, but I'm not in any way um, of the impression that any of this stuff is as good as a proper convention. And I very much look forward to the point at which they happen again, because um, I miss them very, very dearly. So I, I take your point, And also I do want to hear in a minute, what is your plan for the convention you're going to go to in 18 months um but i can see that if everyone's been saying oh you can get on discord and talk to fans and do zooms then you get on discord and it is basically irc but i can use more emoji than and gifts don't don't forget those gifts yeah it, it's not exactly like it's not exactly what we were promised at the turn of the 20th century i think yes i want the matrix um and it hasn't come yet and second life isn't it so if anyone writes in uh boo i want a virtual world in which my neck doesn't hurt which is allison's neck hurts and we will get to that in staying injured in the apocalypse (laughs) (laughs) in the things not to do with your new toys (laughs) <laughs> oh man that's gonna really set up like people are gonna be like what on earth has she done um okay so claire Briley of croydon writes to us and says things uh which are very nice i picked out a highlight as i like to do with claire's letters and my highlight is that she says the discord chat has already made me feel quite vanish i.e interested and engaged and amused and occasionally irritated and that seems like a good um a good thing i am happy that it is engendered all of those um all of those emotions that that i think means it might be working in some way um so hurrah and um yes it was a very lovely letter thank you claire my highlight from claire's letter is how insane she is by our attempts to baffle the old gamer by sending him a corner of a completed jigsaw puzzle (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, she's right. Yes. That is the conclusion we came to, and we should, yeah, we should continue with that. I think. I mean, I don't think he would be baffled. I think he would be flattered. <laughs> Neil, if you're listening, uh, do write in. <laughs> no explanation. We just send him a corner of a random completed jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, okay. Um. And yes. Alison, any highlights from Claire's letter? Um, those two, but also um, she does mention the possibility of sending Neil Gaiman Weetabix, which reminds me that we we have had the fourth instalment of um, Claire's series of short fanzines about Weetabix, um, which means that it is now eligible for a Hugo. So, you know, if you're thinking about your Hugo nominations for 2021, yeah. If you can nominate things for 2021, I strongly, strongly advise that uh, you nominate um, Claire's Weetabix-based um, uh, fanzine, which is called uh, Weekend Weetabix. Um, it is eligible for a Hugo Award. I think it should win. It's better than the fanzine I'm usually nominated for. And so, yeah, please go forth and nominate. And also, it'd be really funny if Claire won for um, Weekend Weetabix and not Banana Wings. Um, I find that funny, but there we there we go. I'm a bad human being. <laughs> um, yes, one of my favorite one of my favorite moments in all of fandom was when I got to give Claire a Hugo Award. That was a ten out of ten time uh, in my life. One of my favorite moments in fandom was when. I got up one morning to discover that Claire had sent me a Weetabix by large letter post lovingly encased in a box made out of Lego. <laughs> um, and I, I found out in the most recent edition of Weekend Weetabix that my wife and I have won a prize and we don't know what the prize is. So that's very exciting. Um, have you? What have you yeah. won a prize for? You don't know. Sending, sending the smallest Weetabix to Claire. Or sending a Weetabix in the smallest amount of packaging, I suppose. We didn't like send a mini Weetabix. I was going to say... Did... I'm going to cut that out of the podcast because I've just had an unrelated idea. <laughs> um... <laughs> I, I, think I, sh- I think I'm going to cut that out of the podcast because I've just had an idea is, is a good title for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, it might have to stay in, mightn't it? Liz went to the Fire Fringe. Um, so Fire is a magazine, the name of which is easy to pronounce, unless you're an old white guy. And they ran a convention since the last time we recorded, and Liz went. So Liz, tell us about that. I did. I should probably explain what the FireCon Fringe was. So FireCon ran over two days and mostly in, I think, the US Eastern time zone. And they also had uh, limited memberships. I mean, they had quite a lot of members, but they didn't have unlimited memberships. So I decided not to buy a membership because it would be in a terrible time zone for me and I would just be taking up a seat. Someone else could otherwise be occupying in a more productive way. So they, but they also put on the FireCon Fringe, which essentially on the day before the convention, um, the organisers of the FireCon Fringe, who I believe are Vida Cruz and Ayori Kusano, basically put on fringe programming so that people who are in time zones where it would be quite awkward for them to watch a lot of the main convention programming would would get to feel involved and they very kindly made this all available for free you just had to register so i attended uh 
several items on the Firecon fringe and it was all very nice. It started for me at 7am, so I did miss the first couple of hours, uh, but it ran from 7am to 7pm in my time zone, which was great. Um, what did I watch panels on? I watched a panel on running a genre magazine. I watched half panel on finding and getting involved in your local science fiction scene. Um I watched a really good one called Different But The Same, writing from the diaspora versus writing locally, where they had essentially a bunch of authors who are all either, you know, either from the diaspora or not, but had kind of very different perspectives on how it worked for them personally being diaspora authors or non-diaspora authors, the benefits of being seen as one or the other, and the way there's benefits of being seen as one or the other was different depending you know which diaspora you were in and it was it was a really interesting panel that could only be done really by having a very diverse and interesting set of authors who all came from a slightly different angle on this and so that was a fascinating hour and then I finished out by watching um I watched one called Destroy All Empers post-colonial and anti-colonial in science fiction and fantasy uh and then I listened to part of We Won't Phone It In for an Anglophone audience which was um yeah, about about how you write and thinking about your audience and thinking about, you know, where your book is going to be sold and marketed and where the translation is going to go. And also the difficulties of writing works where just because of commercial necessity, you need to be often trying to sell them if you're writing in English to a US or UK publisher and how what they see as what will be uh, marketable and palatable to an anglophone audience is not necessarily the same as what the audience actually would like to see they feel and it was also very interesting because they even discussed like what is the definition of an anglophone audience it's not everyone whose native language is english it's not everyone who can read books in english it is kind of different depending on whether you're from a country which is part of this dominant um you know dominant marketplace so basically, they were all really interesting. I say I listened to part of them because I did, unfortunately, have a few issues with my internet. It didn't seem to particularly like streaming from their streaming service, but I think that was my internet because no one else seemed to have problems. Um, and it just like it was just inviting a bunch of really interesting people into your living room to talk on an interesting subject for an hour, and I very much enjoyed it. And then I understand the rest of it was also. Uh, really interesting if you're a full member you could join their discord as well and talk to people that way nice that sounds really really cool i will say it was also an example of like for me because i wasn't on the discord it literally was just a set of panels which were the panelists on zoom and they were streamed by a a, a streaming service they used uh because you had to register um and i was just sort of watching them or listening to them like a podcast at certain times um and it did completely hold my attention. So maybe you don't always need to have the social side of things in there. Sometimes it's enough to just have great content uh, and put it out there. And there's an audience for that. Yeah, I think so. That I think that um, I think that obviously varies from like convention to convention and and from um, venue to venue. I I missed a panel uh, yesterday. Um, this is a bit of a digression, but it's on translation, so I think it is relevant to what you were saying. Um, where the essence of wonder people run a we uh, a weekend by weekend um, track of SF panels. Um, they are um, in the afternoon in Eastern time, US time, um, which is you know a little bit of a shame because a lot of content is in that time zone. Um, but um, the one uh, yesterday um, was on 
a conversation about SFNF in translation, and they had four different translators who presented interpretations of the same passage and discussed like the differences between the choices they had made, which sounded really interesting, and I was very sad to miss it. Um, but I will put a link in the show notes for anyone who's interested in signing up to that kind of chain of panels. Um, I was in a panel at Worldcon with the nominees, with the finalists for the Lodestar Award. Hashtag not a Hugo. Um, and they were talking about the that issue about the publisher's expectations for the audience being very different from what your audience actually wants with regard to young adult novels, where I think it is also very relevant. So, um, so did you did you find Liz that you felt that you were missing out from not being on the Discord, or or, or did it kind of not really feel like there was anything that you hadn't been able to interact with? I did feel I was missing out because I saw a number of people on Twitter saying how good and and how kind of uh, welcoming and awesome the Discord was. Um, But I think it's also worth pointing out that, you know, Firecom was very much aimed at BIPOC participants. And so it wasn't really aimed at me anyway. So it's possible that what I would have got out out of the Discord would be different from what other people got out of the Discord. Um, I'm sure I would have still... I had a really good time on it, but I wasn't looking to make those connections with other writers from other communities. Um, oh, one other thing I want to say is that Firecon also, I think, had live captioning for all their panels, including all the fringe panels, and that worked really well. Cool. I would have gone to Firecon if they had had memberships and had not been full, because I felt that it would have been an opportunity for me to essentially absorb a lot of other people's experiences in quite a in quite a good way without having to be a participant or or make any of that happen i could have just kind of listened to what people had to say um but i couldn't so i didn't um and i couldn't do the friday night for some other reason because although although i never go anywhere and never do anything my life appears to be incredibly full all the time which i find very strange i don't understand what's happening my final thought about Firecon is actually it worked, maybe it worked for me as something which I listened to rather than interacted with because really it was a convention designed for me uh, personally to be listening to and learning from but maybe not interacting and putting out my voice in there because that's not really what it was for. That, that was kind of what I wanted to say. <laughs> my brain is not working properly. I think I basically nicked what Alison said and then phrased it in a different way. So teamwork. Yeah, teamwork. No, and I think I think um, I uh, I think that obviously the value of being an ally is good because you can lend your voice and weight to allyship, but often um, it's more important uh, to be a good listener uh, and not to use your voice instead of listening to um, black and indigenous people of color uh, voices. And so, um, yes, I think that is probably a good point. Um, I did go to a convention, um, uh, which was not Firecon, but I went to a convention um, last weekend, uh, which was IneffableCon, which was a virtual convention um, focused around Good Omens uh, fandom. So um, Rachel Livermore and Bethany Windsor were the co-chairs, and I think they hit about 600 attendees virtually. Um, I didn't take part much in the social spaces because I was doing a few um, tabletop game-related events that weekend. Um, But 
um i did see some of the programming they did pointless which was awesome um very well done um and and people seem to be having a really good time and it's a fandom i haven't i've not been to conventions where the kind of primary thrust of the fan stream is stuff like centered around um fan fiction and, and fan works in, in quite the same way um that that convention had a strong emphasis on that um so it was really interesting to see kind of that um side of fandom um so yeah that was it was really good um i will say rachel has posted a twitter thread um about the platform they used in which she um kind of outlines some of the benefits and drawbacks and um we will post a link to that in the show notes because it was very good and a very thoughtful um thread i was particularly struck with one of her tweets in that thread which was that they designed their social spaces by doing exactly what I was planning to for punctuation, which is to have a giant Zoom with a load of breakout spaces for lots of different things. You could go somewhere and knit. You could go somewhere and chill. You could go somewhere and um, discuss all sorts of things. And you can have meet spontaneous meetups and, the, and that sort of thing. And she said, that's great and i was like well that is exactly what we were hoping to do so that was very that was very exciting to me and then she went and said um of course you have to get everyone on zoom 5.3 and i i was like yeah well that is the story of my life for october has been telling every single person i know individually how to upgrade to zoom 5.3 so i think i'm going to do it again here and say um do upgrade to Zoom 5.3 by going to www.zoom.us slash download. We will put the link in the show notes. Actually, no. Do upgrade to Zoom 5.3. We will put the link in the show notes um, before coming to punctuation or other cons that are using Zoom because your experience will be much improved. Um, So, um, as I say, I went to Ineffable. I had a good time. I'm kind of on the periphery of both the technical solutions used to implement the convention and also the fandom. Uh, So I kind of feel like I don't have much more to say that's insightful. Liz put a link in our show notes to an article on using game design to make virtual events more social. So... Um, Liz, do you want to give us a quick precis of of this article and kind of why it's interesting? Yeah, so it was just, it was a uh, conference called Roguelike Celebration, which is a game design conference. And rather than just using Discord or Slack or Zoom or whatever, they actually built themselves a mod to run the convention. So, you know, when you log in, you're placed into, you know, do, you... do I need to explain mod? I had to look it up. Oh my god! Oh my god! I remember using one when I was a kid, but I think I only used it for like five minutes, and like they were not really a thing when I was at school or at uni. Oh god, they weren't really a thing when I was at school either, John. <laughs> well, yeah, but you guys had abacuses, right? You made your own fun. <laughs> okay, so there was a period between when I went to school and when John went to school when the mud <laughs> or multi-user dungeon was the state of the art. And it is, in fact, a text-based, a multi-room text-based adventure game that you manage for yourself. So wander around. Um, yeah, I will now return you to Liz. Yes. So they basically decided that since this was something that their, you know, that their attendees would probably be quite into, um, they would run it 
essentially it's they have something sort of a bit like a you know a discord or an irc except you're actually navigating around this little ascii art map and when you go to different rooms you're in a slightly different channel and if you want to watch the talk then you go into the theater and you can see their talk uh being streamed there and chat underneath it um but they kind of added into it kind of lots of little uh, Easter eggs. So, you know, there was a swag table and you could take swag and then you could see everyone else who was there and they'd be holding a piece of the, you know, virtual swag. Um, things like that. You think you could, uh, you could randomly drink potions that would put an emoji in front of your name and things like that. Um, it, at the bar. At the bar. And it, it just made everything, it kind of gave people things to play with. Things to chat about playing with, because you could see all these other people have little emoji in front of your name and ask them, well, how do you get the emoji? And they could point you to the potion and things like that, just to add a bit of fun to it. And also having the different rooms uh, allowed them to divide things between, okay, you can go into the theatre or whatever and talk to lots and lots of people, or you could go into one of the smaller side rooms and talk to a few people. So the kind of thing you try and do with a big Zoom channel versus breakout rooms, except you do it by, you know, clicking around on a map and ending up in... Uh, the different rooms they have, you know, and if you look at their map, they have like, you know, they have a theatre and they have a bar and things like that. But they also had a haunted foyer and the astral plane. OK, at this point, I'd like to say there used to be a fanish mod called Eldermoo, which I suspect quite a few of our listeners will remember. And this is a thing that I can it was run by Lucy Huntsinger, and this is a thing that I can date almost precisely because I know that I was in Ildamu in August 1997 because when Diana died, um, Alan Harris and I were in a room in Ildamu swapping, you know, all those um, die, dies, dodie, dead as dodo type jokes. And Lucy became very quiet and um, and it turned out that she was genuinely upset at the death of Diana, Princess of Wales. And no, none of the British fans could understand how this was such a thing was possible. So um, and that demonstrated again that text based chat is not perfect for catching the mood of the people you're interacting with. Um, but anyway, Elder Moo was amazing. And if any, we wanted, we quite liked the idea of putting a mud onto punctuation, but concluded that we didn't have time or energy to do it. So if you're listening to this and are like, oh God, I could whip up a mud for punctuation in 10 minutes flat and I'd be happy to, um, please get in touch. This, that you, you can go and use the one from Roguelike Celebration if you like, but I think, you know, they literally wrote it for that conference. And so while it is open source, it is not open source, but ready and easy and friendly to deploy right now. Also, um, it one of the things about um, these conventions which have successful social environments is that it seems to be very obvious that um, a MUD is a great environment for people who are going to a roguelike conference because they're probably pretty used to interacting through mud. Zasky roguelikes are very much the sort of thing which anyone going to a roguelike convention is going to be up for um, or at least have familiarity with. And in the same way, when I went to the 3D convention, their social spaces were very successful. And one of the ones that was successful was the actual virtual reality space because a significant proportion of the members of that convention already own VR headsets um, and VR VR spaces are great for socialisation. Um, hashtag second life uh, because you can actually wander around in a much more natural way than any of the 
um, flat wandering, flat social environments that we've found so far. Um, no, and I think that's a good point. Like, I think there is a certain level of um, buy-in that a gaming convention will have for uh, gaming-inspired um, social tools. Um, and that was something that the UK Games Expo uh, also leveraged. Although apparently the big uh, gaming convention in Germany, um, Spiel, um, often referred to as Essen, apparently their online spaces are a bit awful. Um, I've not actually looked really myself, um, but I've heard from a couple of friends that their um, their online solution is is not very good, um, which is a shame. Obviously, like we're not planning to do a mud at punctuation because they're a phenomenal amount of work, and we don't know how to do it. As Alison says, um, if you could do it, please, please volunteer because that would be awesome. Um, but it is interesting to see people kind of trying to take a more lateral view of how we could solve some of these problems because I do think that like the Zoom Discord model has. Um, some pretty significant flaws uh and um i am interested in 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 kind of how we can come up with um alternatives which maybe do better at some of these things and i think this looked um this looked um like quite an imaginative way of doing it and i may not be familiar with muds but i did write the most popular walkthrough for the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy text-based adventure on gamefaqs.com uh so go and check that out Speaking of games which must have come out before you were born, John. Yep. I played that when it was new. <laughs> I have a copy. I mean, it was, at the time, it was one of my favourite. It was just extraordinary. I mean, it is quite a hard game. And we didn't have any walkthroughs then. We just had to kind of cry. And then we meet people in the pub. Do you remember that? And we go, oh, my God, I'm so stuck on this terrible game. And amongst other things, it has a point where if you didn't do something at the beginning of the game, like approximately 8,000 turns ago, you are now f***ed. Yep. Um, which, is not, which is what we call, in modern terms, bad game design. A negative play experience. Yeah, I was going to say, I obviously fall between these tools because while I did not ever write a walkthrough for GameFAQs, I do remember um, buying the walkthrough to a LucasArts adventure game from an advert in the back of a game magazine for like £2.50 and they sent you like a photocopied sheet listing everything you should do. Um, Quality. So I could unlock Atlantis, I think. Yeah, it was high quality. And then, of course, the internet came along and... uh, destroyed that oh god remember the small ads in the back of games magazines they were the best yeah i remember ringing you could you could ring you could ring a number you could ring an 08 maybe it was even an 09 number um to get um the answer to questions and a woman will give you hints in a very breathy voice <laughs> no it was a man it was a scottish man i'm pretty sure <laughs> Uh, but I was stuck on Final Fantasy Adventure on the Game Boy, which was a game that came out the year I was born, and um, it did not have a good walkthrough on the internet. And there's a bit where you have to like take a riddle and um, use it in order to open a door. And it was like, um, I can't remember what the riddle was, but the answer to the riddle was you had to walk r- around two palm trees in the desert in a anti-clockwise figure of eight or something like that. And uh, I had to call a helpline uh, to get that piece of information so I could uh, continue on. Um, great game. Just got very stuck on that one bit. Happy memories. If you have never played The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, you should... We will put a link in the show notes. You should do it because it's fantastic but i'm going to tell you now and for free feed the sandwich to the dog you will thank me later 
<laughs> it's a sandwich, right? I'm pretty sure it's a sandwich. Yeah, you've got to feed that dog. Um, and you've got to... Um, you need to take your junk mail with you. Don't leave the junk mail behind. Yeah, I mean, in general, though, for Infocom me- adventures, do not leave anything behind. I mean, take everything. It'll all be useful. Yeah, no, if you get to the end of the game and, you know, you're going to need everything, yeah. But it's the it's not the junk mail, it's the feeding the sandwich to the dog, which is very much a non-obvious thing to do. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you do have to have done it. Uh, I'll link to my walkthrough in the show notes if you are someone who would find it more fun not to be enormously frustrated. Yeah, especially, you know, you're going to get stuck for weeks otherwise, and, you know. <laughs> I, I kind of have a no no walkthrough policy for games, which I'm kind of relenting on. And I'm kind of going to, oh, now I do walkthroughs. And you go, oh, God, was that even a thing? So, yeah. Okay. Um, We digressed slightly. Let's talk about our convention. Uh, that was a elegant segue. Nailed it. Uh, so, punctuation coming up 13th to the 15th of November 2020. We have some members i believe we now have 88 members uh so it's going to be a swing in time lots of people talking on the discord already um and yeah hopefully it'll be good sorry 90 members 90 members two-thirds of the this never happens podcast have joined up um i leave it to the audience to guess what the third (laughs) is um and yes alison is wetting herself in the background um (laughs) Okay, so the, the thing about middle age, and he said, ow! <laughs> that was a very neat encapsulation of the effects of middle age uh, in audio form. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that was I'm so sorry, Alison. <laughs> Cricks of the deck are horrible. They really are. Um, but yes, I think our um, convention will be very good. One of the things we have been trying to do in order to make our convention better is to find out from the people we know and the people who might be coming um, what things they miss about interacting with people in the real world and trying to think about how we might be able to um, emulate or um, get at the same kind of feelings in a virtual space. And this is something that Alison um posted a facebook comment about sorry a facebook post about um in order to try and get people's opinions so alison do you want to talk a little bit about that i think you basically said roughly what i was going to say which is that i asked people what things they used to enjoy and if they can't do them now what are how have they replicated it online and i did get some answers that were kind of the thing I enjoyed doing is impossible to replicate online, but I got quite a lot of answers that weren't like that and came up with quite a lot of quite good ideas for things that you can do socially, um, including obviously the things we already know, like like Zooms and board gaming and, and knit and natter type event, you know, the sorts of you could do your crafting workshops online and you could do do lots of things where you're socialising and all, but also doing something like playing a game or or crafting. Um, some a whole slew of things which are kind of not quite as satisfactory. I I think one of the things that we've lost and we may never get back is um is voices joining together in song or people playing together as a band in a way that the internet is not delivering at all at the moment. And and so music is one of the things that. The, 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 the ways that we're doing things online kind of involve turn-taking and solo performance. Um, 
But lots of interesting ideas. Lots of people saying, well, the thing I used to really um, like was getting drunk with a load of my mates and behaving hugely inappropriately. And I think that's an issue, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I, I feel that sort of sense that I'm never going to get pissed in a in a space that's not surrounded by my actual own home is, is a problem for me. I'm hashtag not an alcoholic, I promise. Um, maybe if I had a beer, it would soothe my neck. Do write to us about the things that you are doing that are translatable online and are not translatable online. And um, it, it was quite, you know, it was kind of people kind of talking about what they're doing to make up for not having air shows and, and all the different sorts of activities that people would normally have done in their spare time. And, and, and that's, we're, so we're going to replicate some of those at punctuation if we can. And we are very keen to listen to how other people, if, if you if you are someone who, who feels um poorly served by the way in which um socializing and conventions have been um in the pandemic please write to us and tell us what the things you have trouble with are um because we may not be able to fix them but we would like to think about them and particularly if you've got a if you have a different hobby space where people are doing things better that science fiction conventions have not yet worked out how to do then do tell us because we do want to steal good practice from other sorts of events. Yep. Good artists, good artists borrow, great artists steal. I do miss going out and singing in groups, but that's just one of the few things that hasn't restarted. We tried to have a sing-along on Zoom, and uh, it was very funny. Uh, but if what you're missing from, from sing-alongs isn't the hilariousness of time lags on the internet causing it to sound awful, I'm not sure whether the way we tried to solve it will help. Um, apparently, that's what we're going to get from 5G. Um, whenever people go, oh, 5G is a solution waiting for a problem, which it certainly is, um, it should be possible to use 5G networks to eliminate lag and allow for essentially spontaneous activity like singing and music making. I do think now we've got gigabyte fibre, um, then I think the next obvious frontier is reducing latency. Um, cause I think, I mean, obviously you can get really easily bitten in the butt by saying this, but no one could possibly need more into that than gigabit fibre. Uh <laughs> right um but certainly at the point where it's fine for like streaming 4k video i kind of feel like maybe the next the next job is to reduce the latencies um but the, the point about the point about cables is that cables have limits based on repeaters and contention that mean that they are not achieving the speed of light is not a hard you know the amount of, of time it takes the light to go all the way around the world is not very great so so that's probably not going to stop you singing with your friends that was the 17th episode of the Octothorpe podcast. Uh, and uh, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. <laughs>we haven't done a we haven't done a staying sail in the apocalypse for a while i mean we've we've hugely digressed many times we haven't done a formal staying sail in the apocalypse segment for a while um so alison why does your neck hurt
So about six years ago, I was at a science fiction convention or some similar event and Alex Holden, who is a science fiction fan, sidled up to me and said, I am thinking of going into business as a high-end concertina maker. Does that sound like a stupid idea? And I said, no, Alex, that sounds like an extremely good idea because there is a massive shortage of high-end concertina makers. And um, and you will once you get the hang of it, you will sell everyone that you make because, you know... Um, so there is a question about whether you can actually make them in a commercial way that makes you money. But but subject to that, yeah, it appears to me to be a great business to go into. And let me know when you've got the hang of making concertinas and I will have a concertina off you. Right. So so with me so far. So about two years ago, he came back to me. He, he learned how to build a concertina and he made a couple of concertinas and they came back to me and said, my order book is starting to fill up and I am starting to raise my prices and would you like to put down a deposit on a concertina before I raise the prices, seeing as you said you would? And I was like, absolutely. Um, that sounds amazing. He said it'll be about eight months. And that was about two years ago. So I have a concertina, which I got this week. Um, and uh, and uh, I should say, in Alex's defence, that about four months of that was my fault because um, we were waiting. We, I decided I wanted amazingly fancy bellows papers designed by Sume. So we will put a picture of my incredibly beautiful Holden number eight concertina in the show notes, or you can even use it as the chapter title, John. I will. Uh, yeah, when I, when I, I'll get your photo. I mean, it's only going to be the same photo that I had as my Zoom background or something. But anyway, um, so I got it on Tuesday and I cannot play concertinas at all. I play, I play melodian. How I've been explaining this to people is that if you, it's like going to a Dvorak keyboard um so you you were you 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 need to kind of relearn the way you type and also there are some other things that are different so I can now after five days of extremely concentrated concertina practice I can now play concertina very badly and I am going to a all-day concertina workshop just as soon as we finish recording um, so anyway, I played constantly. You're supposed to build up very, very slowly, about kind of 30 minutes a day when you get a new instrument in two 15 minute chunks so that you don't do something like massively put your neck out due to playing concertina for six hours. Anyway, there's the end of the story. <laughs> so I woke up this morning with a spectacularly stiff neck as a result of playing too much concertina, which would not really be a big problem were it not for the fact that we're recording the podcast and that I'm going to an all-day concertina workshop, which I'm not sure how much concertina playing I'm going to be able to do with that pain. Concertinas, they're great. If you'd like, we'll also put a link to um, Alex's Instagram where he has a lot of exceptionally beautiful photographs if you like photographs of squeeze boxes. And um, also... um, his his website where you too could purchase a hand built concertina. Um, so, so my concertina was a very prodigious bargain. I assume as a result of that conversation I had with Alex six years ago. I think he charges a lot more for them now than he charged me. But it's still it's still um, you know if you need a concertina, definitely the place to go. Um, obviously, they're hand built, traditionally made concertinas, and they are not cheap. But there you go. It is spectacularly beautiful. It made me want to buy buy one, even though. My, my own experience is attempting to play the melodeon and being really bad at it and giving up. So, yeah, I, I would say that um, <laughs> I should probably have started from the beginning, which is in um, in 1829, <laughs> Charles Wheatstone, who who invented a great many things, put down having seen German 
small accordions, which were instruments for playing chords on, made a patent to make a hexagonal instrument, which he called the concertina. And that is essentially the start of the instrument. And instruments much like mine have been made since about 1840 or 1850. And they haven't really changed in design very much since the in the last 140 years. So would you say that it's an area which is ripe for Silicon Valley disruption? Um, no, but it's clear some of the things that Alex is doing are about applying being a modern person with a modern sort of brain because Alex isn't actually a folky, um, but he's clearly he's coming at it from the point of view of being a person who can make things. So he is actually being... His concertinas are quite disruptive. For example, mine has aluminium reeds, which is is quite a disruptive thing to do. Um, yeah. Huh. And as a result, it's very light. Nice. Or aluminium reed frames, rather. Yeah. Your story about being very achy uh, reminds me of the time. Um, so I went went on holiday with 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 my three brothers and my mother and my father uh, to Newquay, and my mum and dad said. Um, they do surfing lessons. Do you want to learn to surf? And I was like, what? You're a dyspraxic son with no sense of balance? Nah, you can pull the other one. It's got bells on. Um, but two of my brothers did want to learn to surf because they don't have dyspraxia and can balance. Um, and so they did. And they decided to surf. And then they decided to spend um, the, the, the the morning was the surfing lesson. And they decided they would keep surfing all afternoon and evening. And the next day, they had, like, wounds on their feet. We had to go and get antiseptic dressings. Like, they ached all all over because if you just if you don't have a break yeah you don't notice until the next day how much stress it's putting on your body and the answer was many um so i was cheerfully just sort of stretching and generally walking to places and they were really having trouble with those kinds of um activities so uh so yeah it's like the day i after i did ring fit adventure andrew january knows the ache is real I have two more things to say on that. One is a response to you. One is one of the things I actually put in the show notes, which is thank you so much for your recommendation to download a program called Buddy Move, which stops you sitting in one place for a long time and makes you do stretching exercises. I had downloaded it, but I had not installed it. Apparently, you also need to install it and act on the things it tells you to do before it works. Yeah, that's the um, And the second thing is that my I used to ride horses periodically as a small child in the way that small girls tend to. And I never, you know, obviously horse riding is is um is one of the things where you can overdo it. But in fact, I never really did have a problem as a child, including go for an entire week horse riding. But then about 10 years after I'd never, after I'd ridden, Car- we were in Brecon for Brecon, which was um, the Hay on Y convention, one of the Hay on Y conventions that got organised in the in the Swan Hotel in Hay that had no programme. But Caroline Mullen organised a pony trek for people who liked that sort of thing. And I went pony trekking for three hours. And the following day, I was in very significant amounts of pe- really spectacularly sore after that. So, yeah. Amazing. I blame Caroline. Um, so... Liz, you've been staying sane in the apocalypse by eating uh, cakes that have been sprayed with rum. Um, So I saw this post on your Instagram and I knew we had to cover it on the podcast. Uh, So could you please tell us where to go in order to get a cake spray painted with rum? Oh, I went out for afternoon tea. Um, What? 
Can I, so I have, I have questions. What is out? <laughs> yeah. Are so, you saying are you, <coughs> you met friends for an indoor meal? Yes. Okay, so we're already fizzing with excitement and jealousy. Yeah, I, I try not to mention it too much when it's on staying sailing the apocalypse because Alison, you know, is saying how sad it is that she can't basically go out and get smashed and do inadvisable things. And I could if I wanted to go out and get smashed and do inadvisable things. And I wouldn't have to do it. And you she know, does by... every Tuesday, listener. <laughs> <laughs> if you ring Liz on a Tuesday after a, after about seven in the afternoon, oh, she's not get any sense out of her. So I went out for afternoon tea, which is a thing you can do when... Uh, the cases of COVID are minimal, I understand. Um, and yeah, we went for fancy afternoon tea for my friend's birthday treat. And, you know, it's the sort of place where they bring you a tea menu and then they bring you lots of little tiny cakes and scones. <coughs> but the star thing is they bring you a rum baba cake, uh, which had matcha cream on top. And then they ask you, would would you like it spritzed with rum and either pineapple or mango flavouring? And I said, yes, please. I don't know if it did anything at all to taste. But it, it's it's quite fun to have someone come and sort of spray rum on your cake like it's from a tiny perfume dispenser. <laughs> that is excellent. When when international oh. travel is possible again, I'm coming to visit you in, in Bangkok. Uh, faux show. Um, and we're going out for fancy afternoon tea. Yeah. Oh, can we can we like have like an Octothorpe holiday in Bangkok and, um, <laughs> and, and do the podcast for real there? One day. One day. That would be great. So I, so so yes. So on the topic of seeing friends, um, I have been staying sane in the apocalypse by purchasing an outdoor infrared heater and putting it in my garden. And there is um access to my garden from outside, so you don't have to come through my house. Um, and uh, my table is about a meter wide, so I could have a friend at the other end of the table, and we can have tea. And there is a heater, and I've got a little sheltered bit of the garden, so the rain doesn't get us unless it's a yellow rain warning, which I postpone. And so I've had a couple of friends from work over in the last couple of weeks for sort of morning tea breaks. And that has been brilliant. Would highly recommend um, living in a semi-detached house with a garden and then buying a heater for the garden and having friends uh, come over to enjoy tea. Um, I appreciate not everyone listening will have that list of things, um, but I will put a link in the show notes to the outdoor heater I procured um and and yeah um it's very exciting and i have been thoroughly enjoying it it was espania's idea i can claim no credit at all for the uh planning phase of this but espania said very tentatively can we do this and i was like yes go and find which one we're buying now and she was like oh i was not expecting that level of buy-in that quickly um but yeah turns out i miss people being able to see people is nice um and that has been because I think, I, I mean, Liz, you will know more about this, but the impression I get from reading the news and um, the learned people uh, about uh, COVID is that outdoor transmission is a good deal less of a problem than the risk from indoor transmission. And so um, I think seeing one friend at a time for outdoor pursuits seems pretty safe, generally. I'm going to say slightly edgily, at least some of that, though, is going to be that we cannot we are less likely to know when the transmission happened when it's at an outdoor thing. So, but yeah, no, it's clear that outdoor events are much, much safer. Though not that, um, the, the Amy Barrett thing in the Rose Garden clearly spread it to lots of people despite being outdoors. So it's not 100%. That was not entirely outdoors. It had indoor sections. 
Ah, that's good to know. Well, but also what I haven't done is I haven't lined my garden with seats which are next to each other and put 300 people in it. So that is also... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we you can't actually get to my garden without going through my house. So I'm always slightly edgy about the whole outdoor thing. I've just realised what your statement means, Alison. It means that this was the secret emergency podcast about Trump's coronavirus because we mentioned the Rose Garden meeting and outdoor and indoor transmission. So listeners that have been waiting on tenter hooks, it was this episode. I've done I've done two other things to say sane in the apocalypse, which is firstly, I've deleted my weekly reminder to nag Alison for Taff Art, because Alison has given me Taff Art, and that means my Taff report is finished. Um so it is about to be on sale. Okay, for the benefit of people listening who are not on Facebook, John posted to Facebook saying, I have finished my Taff report, and I followed up with that's a very kind way to say Alison finally delivered the bloody cover only seven months late isn't it I mean but I will say that um of the nine years that it took me to deliver my TAF report uh, less than 10% of that was your uh doing so I think in general um it could be safely said that I took most of the time on my own yeah I mean I, I think it's it was only a bit late I it would have been done for Easter if we'd had Easter and um sometimes sometimes you know designs happen when they happen and i'm quite pleased with the cover now that it's done oh yeah me too it, it, it's not your fault it took a long time it took a long time because i decided you ought to wear arthur dent's dressing gown and instead of just saying we <laughs> take the photo i found a suitable dressing gown on the internet and and used photoshop's puppet warp to add it to your body digitally and um and then i thought oh that ribbon crawl and it is it is fantastic, listener. Like I I cannot ribbon crawl should auto that ribbon crawl should automatically have um have the sort of ribbons that John would actually wear attached to his con badge. So I I I photoshopped all the ribbons individually, which which was probably a bit stupid, but will will be useful for punctuation where a lot of these ribbons are going to get you reused. And if you, any, if you have any ideas for great con ribbons that you'd like to take to a con, um, let us know and I'll, um, I'll Photoshop them up before punctuation. But that was one of the things I did that did not help. It's also when I'm talking about muscle pain, it's not impossible that the very large number of hours I spent on Photoshop this week, where again I could have done with somebody to tell me to get up and stretch a bit more often, might actually also have had something to do with my neck. This is not in any way meant to be a guilt trip. It's definitely mostly the concertina. Apparently, I have terrible, terrible health habits. Stephen was like, that's why I do a set of Qigong exercises every day that are designed to prevent this sort of thing. And he was very lucky not to have a, a microwavable dragon thrown at him, I can tell you. And I also yesterday spent 13 and a quarter hours playing Arkham Horror, the card game on my computer um, with three people from across the world in a Iron Man run of The Circle Undone. And we won. And so I sat down at my computer at about 8.20 and I stood up again at about 10 o'clock and Hispania brought me water, coffee, pancakes, um, a little egg McMuffin, um, a re- imagination of a taco bell crunchwrap supreme um some toast and biscuits and she is a 10 out of 10 spouse thank you very much darling and if you do that in 20 years time you'll wake up the following day with a majestically stiff neck i predict what 
what I did was I um firstly I stood up every time my watch um um bleated at me, so that helped. But I also went for a run immediately after finishing, um, which I think might have also helped blow some of the cobwebs out. Although it was a pretty slow run, I will admit. Um that is all that I've done to stay sane in the apocalypse. Um but I feel like it's been a pretty full fortnight. I I should say that I saw my I saw my daughter in the outdoors yesterday, along with the family that she, with her oh, girlfriend she's not and living with her family. Yeah, so along with Marianne and Marianne's girlfriend and Marianne's girlfriend's family, um, which made seven in total. So we actually went on our walk in in two non mingling groups, and then we got we got back before the other group because obviously it had me in it and Marianne, and we found ourselves. We went. We, it was a much shorter walk. I should stress. And we found ourselves at a pub that had been converted into a steakhouse. And so we sat outside this pub that had been converted into a steakhouse and sent Stephen in to see if he could get us three coffees. And they said, we only serve drinks with meals, I'm afraid. And so we said, can we have the menu? And they said, certainly, but you would have to sit out inside because we cannot serve food outside. And I'm just to say, waiting for this company to announce that they've gone bust as a result of COVID. And I'm going, you know what? You need to work out how you can serve meals outside. And I know you're not supposed to ever say anything that can be finished with the words, you idiot, but there we go. <laughs> you should learn how to serve meals outside, you idiots. If your pub is empty, you should also serve people coffees, even if they're not eating a meal, because money is money. Um, you idiots. Yeah, like that. So I would have liked to have had a coffee with my daughter after we'd gone for our walk. The obvious proviso is, uh, unless you're in a tier three lockdown city in which you're not allowed to serve drinks with our meal. We are in a tier two space, as was the thing, and they are allowed to serve drinks. Um, uh, No, those are alcoholic. No, no, seriously, they're alcoholic. Those are alcoholic drinks. You're allowed to serve coffee without a meal. OK. Um, so, so that's the other thing is that somebody was like oh that can't be able to serve drinks without without food might be a licensing requirement there is no license on coffee yet which is honestly a good thing for me because obviously addict and everything i remember i went to a lunk on three committee meeting with claire briley of croydon and i saw her order a pint of coffee and a triple espresso and poured the triple espresso into the coffee (laughs) civil service life I believe that leaving the civil service has helped with Claire's caffeine addiction, but I'm sure she's going to be along in a minute to tell us. I I don't think she drinks as much coffee as she used to. She used to drink enough coffee that it made my hair stand on end. This podcast will end at the beep. (coughs) 